You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Good evening, Fellowship Baptist Church. Welcome. Um, we are in the book of 2 Kings tonight. Um, before we jump into that, I just want to remind you, Friday morning, Pastor will have his devotional at 10 a.m., um, Sunday, Sunday church at 10 a.m., Sunday school, and of course, Sunday church at 11 a.m. Be sure to be on there. Take advantage of this time that you have uh, with your family and this time that you have off of work, this time that you have um, to meet with God a little bit more and um, just take advantage of the free time that you have. God has it there for a purpose. Well, welcome inside of Ben's, um, inside of Ben's study. Um, we are, as I said, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. I hope all of you enjoyed your beautiful spring day today and the surprise <laughs> that uh, you saw there today. Well, I'm going to jump right into this. I don't want to just piddle time away here. I want to jump right into what we have here this evening. We are in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're in a very special chapter uh, for me, my first message not that I ever taught, but the first message that I ever preached came from this book. We won't examine that tonight. We won't even get to that, um, get to that verse tonight. But my first, the first message I ever preached was out of 2 Kings chapter 2. While the Lord pressed upon my heart, I was going to go in a different direction. I didn't feel prepared uh, to present this for you. I didn't know how I would tie all of this together, but the Lord commanded me to preach this message tonight. So I believe that it will be a blessing to you. I hope um, that you can are able to listen in very closely and very quickly as I run through a lot of things. And I say that because this is a message that will eventually be in a series, a series of revival messages a series of revival messages. I have probably seven, uh, six, seven, or eight that I will have out of these first 13 verses in 2 Kings chapter 2. And I'm going to give to you what will be probably about the third or the fourth message in this series. And I say that because I, I cannot, you'll see why, I cannot preach the first three tonight and, and bring it all together and bring it home for you. We're going to go ahead and begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 2. The title of this message is The Four Stops of Elisha. The Four Stops of Elisha. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Why Gilgal? And Elijah said unto Elijah, Tarry here. I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Why, why Bethel? Why not Jerusalem? 
And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elijah, Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away from thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. Why Jericho? And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. They came to Jericho, and he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And again, the question is, Why Jordan? And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. So they too went over on dry ground. What we have here in the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 2 is what is known as the passing of the mantle. Elijah was a great prophet in the nation of Israel, and Elisha was his understudy. And it had been prophesied, and apparently it was very well known, that Elijah would be taken up by God. He would not die, but he would be taken up by God into heaven. And if we were to read on, we would find out that that's exactly what takes place. And Elisha takes the mantle from Elijah, his mantle, his covering, his prayer shawl, and he goes on and does a ministry, a great prophet ministry. The Bible tells us or shows us that the number of miracles that are written and recorded for us for Elijah are Elisha are twice that, the number of Elijah. But that's not our subject here this evening. Our subject here this evening is the four stops of Elisha. Why did he start from Gilgal and go to Bethel? Why did he go from Bethel and then to Jericho? And then why did he end by crossing the Jordan? It's noted that Elijah visited every place that he had that had voice as to God's relationship with Israel. We see in Scripture, we know in Scripture, and I know, I know that many of the Bible songs that we sometimes listen to or sing don't attest to this fact, but the crossing of the Jordan over into Canaan land is a picture of salvation. And Canaan land is not a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the Christian life. You can see that in Scripture because we have in Canaan land nothing but battles and building. And in heaven, there will no, be no more battles. And all things will be finished. But in this Christian life, we have battles and we have building to do. I am reminded of a message by, that I've listened to by a man by the name of Curtis Hudson. Love his preaching. A message called Building and Battling. The Christian life is signified in the land of Canaan. And so we have these four stops here in the land in, of Canaan. And while it seems like Elijah's journey is the focal point, the true subject of these first eight verses 
is Elisha choosing to go on with Elijah to each place. It's almost like Elijah is asking and Elijah is responding, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And ye shall find rest for your souls. Elisha is asking for the old paths. He's asking to walk in the same path that his teacher walked in, Elijah. Canaan represents the Christian life. These cities represent the Christian life. The Christian life that is filled with enemies, but the number one enemy that Israel had to deal with Hello, was themselves. To the audio song. And the number one enemy that you and I must deal with is ourselves. We first find that Elijah is in Gilgal. And God tells him to go forth from Gilgal, but he begins in Gilgal. What is Gilgal? It is a place about five miles from Jordan. It is the place that the children of Israel rested in, their habitation place after they crossed the Jordan when they entered into Canaan land in the book of Joshua. They had just followed God's command to circumcise. And in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 3, it is called a lodging place. And it's called their lodging place over and over again. Christian, what Gilgal represents to you is your lodging place in this Christian life. It was a lodging place for the children of Israel throughout their conquest of Canaan. In the book of Joshua, they would go out and they would battle and they would take over the heathen of the land and they would destroy their, their places and then they would come back and they would camp at Gilgal. They returned to Gilgal after many defeats and they returned to Gilgal after many victories. God, there is no guessing as to the name and the meaning and the significance of what Gilgal means. In fact, there's no guessing as to what any of these places mean. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 9, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Gilgal represents rolling away of the reproach of Egypt. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, God said. Reproach of Egypt rolled away. Egypt represents sin. Egypt represents the world. Re Egypt represents an unsaved man's life. Egypt represents all of those deeds and all of those things that we did before we were saved. Egypt represents the reproach and the penalty the reproach of the penalty and slavery, the reproach of Egypt represents our sin and the penalty for it, a lake of fire for all eternity. But it also represents the slavery of sin. Before you were saved, you had no choice but to sin. Now that you are saved, God hasn't just saved you from a lake of fire for all eternity. He saved you from much more than that. He saved you from a life of sin, from being a slave to the devil and a slave to your sin. 
It is a place, Gilgal, as the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. It is a place of sanctification. If we were to look through the passages of Scripture that involve sanctification, we would notice some things that stand out about sanctification. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2, God says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. When you are sanctified, you are no longer the devils, but you are God's. When you are sanctified, you are no longer someone else's, but you are God's. When you are sanctified, you are no longer your own, but you are God's. It is mine. And thou shalt take the anointing oil, God says in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 9, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein, and thou shalt hollow it and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy. Gilgal is a place that represents sanctification. Sanctification is a place that represents vessels that are the Lord's. And if they are vessels that are the Lord's, they are holy. God says in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. I praise the Lord that I don't have to sanctify myself. I praise the Lord that in Jesus' final prayer in his ministry on earth, he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify. When you are sanctified, you are first separated from the reproaches of Egypt. You are separated from those things that represent your past life. And you are set apart and you are sanctified to nothing other and to no one other than God himself. You are separated and sanctified to be a holy vessel. Gilgal is that habitation place, that lodging place that represents separation and sanctification. Separation from the slavery of the sins of Egypt and sanctification to holiness to a holy God. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath the he that unbelieveth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, Christian? You Lodging in Gilgal are a habitation, a temple of God. For you are the temple of the living God, and as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. The reproaches of Egypt rolled away, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, sanctified to God. 
And I will receive you. What a blessed, beautiful promise. And will be a father unto you. What a blessed, beautiful, sweet, and precious promise. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Paul says, for this is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. That ye should abstain from fornication. That ye should abstain from the reproaches of Egypt, from the sin of Egypt, that ye should abstain from that which is sin. And then he goes on to say that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. There are several aspects of sanctification. The number one is the very obvious thing is just to obey God. It's to abstain from sin. The number two thing that isn't necessarily as obvious, but it's to abstain from the appearance of evil, the appearance of sin. And then as we see highlighted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. We need to set standards for our own protection. When you make Gilgal your habitation place, your lodging place, in order to abstain from sin, we need to remove those things from our lives that will cause us to sin. When you're dwelling in Gilgal, a place of separation and a place of sanctification, in order to remain there, you must remove from your life those influences that would cause you to creep into sin and will cause you to be defiled. You are a vessel unto the Lord. You are a lodging place of God. God lives in you and he does not want you to be taking things into your life, to be surrounded by things in your life that would grieve his spirit, Christian. This involves the things that you read. This involves the things that you listen to. This involves the things that you watch. This involves your friends. This involves the places that you go. And this involves the thoughts that you have. You can set all of these standards and look like the most holy person on the outside. But if you are wicked on the inside, if you have separated yourself from this thing and from that movie and from this type of thing, but you are still thinking about those things inside of your heart, you are not sanctified. You are not separated, no matter how much you appear to be separated by other people. And God cannot receive you. He only receives those who are separated and sanctified unto him. Because if you're not separated and sanctified, then you're not a holy vessel. And when we talk about standards, we understand that holiness, you cannot be holy by having standards. And I've said that so many times in preaching, and I always get a good shout of amen. And I have no doubt that there are many of you in your living rooms today who have heard that and would shout an amen. But the second part of the statement rarely ever gets an amen. You cannot be holy without setting standards in your life. That is an absolute biblical fact. One of these days I'm going to do a Bible study, it's probably going to take a number of years to put it together as I notice things in Scripture. But you have a whole lot more men 
Such as Job, I will set no unclean thing before my eye, who have made standards to protect themselves from being dirty vessels. You read in the book of Proverbs, and in the book of Proverbs, we understand that I'm not to look on a woman to lust, but the Bible doesn't tell me that there are certain streets that I ought not to go down. But the book of Proverbs says an unwise man will go down a street where a harlot dwells. In other words, an unwise man will expose himself to places that will cause him to walk right into sin. It's just wisdom for your protection. Understanding that if any man thinketh that he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall, that no matter how holy you are today, tomorrow you can fall if you don't set the right kind of standards in your life to protect you. And you protect your vessel from the wrong kinds of thoughts and the wrong kinds of actions. I've mentioned it several times, but Gilgal is a lodging place. And I want you to understand, as we go through these places, Gilgal will be the place that I offer the most teaching. But I am leaving a whole lot of teaching out. And I want you to understand that everything that I have in here is founded on exactly what these places mean in Scripture and exact examples of what these places show. And those are other messages. As I said, this is message number three or four and what this will become. Gilgal would be message number one, but I cannot take 45 to 50 minutes to preach on Gilgal this evening. It is a lodging place. God calls it a lodging place. Thus, throughout our walk in this Christian life, whatever battles we face, we are always to return to the place of origin where our reproach of Egypt has been rolled away. Each time Israel won out or each time they won out to battle, they always came back to Gilgal in the book of Joshua. Thus, they rested in their sanctified place and their safe haven. They rested in the power of God to keep them sanctified and to just simply keep them in all things. It is God that sanctifies you, not you yourself, not your flesh, not your following another person, but following God himself. It is God that sanctifies you. Gilgal is that place where their old ways would not be remembered, that they weren't servants to them anymore, and a separation unto God. And you in this Christian life, living and traveling in the land of Canaan, you will get your feet dirty, and you will get your hands dirty in the battles that you must face, but you must always return back to Gilgal. Gilgal, that place of sanctification. But that's not where the journey ends. The journey goes further. Elijah goes further. Elijah is commanded to go further. And Elijah says, I want to go with you. And Elijah says, you stay here. And Elijah says, I will not leave your side. And Elijah says, I need to go to Bethel. You stay in Gilgal and you'll know the law, but you won't know the lawgiver. Too many Christians today, they look so clean on the outside, they know the law. But it's not real to them. They don't know the lawgiver. Jeremiah 2 verse 8, the priest said not, where is the Lord? They didn't even know that he left. And they that handle the law knew me not. Bethel. 
You stay in Gilgal and you will know the law, but you won't know the lawgiver. Bethel's 10 miles north of Jerusalem. This is the place where Abram met with God on more than one occasion. It is the place where the Bible says he called upon the name of the Lord, and it is where God talked with him. Bethel means the house of God, and it was named by Jacob in his first encounter with God. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 17, the Bible says, And he was afraid. Christian, there are certain aspects of God that he chooses to reveal about himself to you in times of meeting to him, with him. Sometimes he reveals to you his loving kindness. Sometimes he reveals to you his mercy. And sometimes he reveals to you his great and mighty power and fear. Fear will come over you. This is why the Bible says that regardless of who shakes their fist at God now, there will be a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Standing in the presence of God, there will never ever be an excuse for your sin. There will never ever be a, yeah, but Lord. It will only be bowing on your knees and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. God is a fear, a fearful God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven, Jacob said. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel is noted in Scripture. You can find in Scripture that it is a place where man meets with God. It is a place where God confirms his promises. It is a place where God shows his faithfulness. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, after many years after God had called Jacob from Laman and says, I want you to return to me. I'm the God of Bethel. Jacob's children began to be mixed with the inhabitants of the land. Gilgal wasn't a thing yet, but they had left the place of sanctification. They have left the place of separation. And they had mixed with the inhabitants of the land. And Jacob was troubled by this after seeing the pollution of his family from the heathen of the world, who years before declared to Jacob that he is the God of Bethel. He commands Jacob to go back to Bethel, and he commands him to do two things. He says, you've met with me at Bethel before. I want you to do two things. I want you to dwell there. And I want you to make an altar. Daily interaction with the Canaanites caused a lack of separation to creep into his life. A lack of separation from the wickedness of the land leads to a separation, to a separation from God. God commands him to cleanse his household of strange gods first. He says, you come to Bethel, but first cleanse your household of strange gods. Thus you cannot meet with God at Bethel unless you first dwell in Gilgal. You cannot be in the house of God. You cannot have your time where you worship and interact with God without having first been sanctified at Gilgal. This is the path of victory in Canaan land. These are the places that each Christian must stop in Canaan land in order to live a victorious Christian life. 
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Not a dead God, but a living God. He's alive inside of you today, but I'm afraid that so many of our Christians are so, so clinging to the things of this world and have so defiled themselves with the things of this world, have left Gilgal years ago, have left separation and sanctification years ago, that they don't know that there's a God that's living inside of them. They don't hear his voice. They don't see his works. They don't see his wonders. He's such an off distance, such a small voice inside of them that barely, if all ever, speaks. You are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them. The living God dwells in you, Christian, and I will walk in them. He walks into those recesses of your heart that you've tried to hide from him. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Again, you begin your Christian journey in separation and sanctification, in rolling away the reproaches of Egypt and Gilgal, and then you travel on to Bethel. Don't stop in Gilgal. Go to Bethel. Go to the house of God. It is a place where we call upon God. It is a place where we commune with God. We call upon God and God speaks to us. I wonder, do you have that special place of Bethel in your life? Do you have that special time where you meet with God? You have that time where you sit and you open your Bible and you free yourself from the distractions of Facebook and you turn off Fox News and you, you, you just dwell with God for a little while. You know, there's a difference between opening your Bible and reading it and praying to God and dwelling with God and talking to God in Him talking to you. God commanded Jacob to dwell there. To dwell there. I love what David says in the Psalm, Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David had moments in his life where he was filled with the Spirit of God. But he didn't, he didn't have what I have today. Christian, he didn't have what you have today. What you have today is a God that never leaves you, that is always present inside of you, that He's always dwelling with you. And as important as it is for you to set aside your Bethel each and every day for you to get along with God and have Him speak to you and you speak back to Him, as important as Bethel is in those moments, Bethel is a place that you should never leave. 
Bethel is a place that when you get up off of your couch or wherever it is that you have your time with the Lord in the morning or whatever part of the day that is, when you get up and you finish and you close that book, your dwelling with God doesn't stop there. Your Bethel doesn't stop there. God is still with you. Yet so many of us Christians, we're like the Christians, we're like the children of Israel in the book of Judges, not the book of Joshua. We're constantly and always defeated by the inhabitants of our land in Canaan, by our own flesh and the flesh and the devil and the world around us. We're continually defeated because we don't dwell at Bethel. We have a Bethel in the morning, but we don't dwell there. We don't stay there throughout the day. That is an opportunity that God gives you. It's an advantage that you have in this New Testament age for you to not just have moments where you're at Bethel, but for you to dwell at Bethel, Christian. If your meeting place with God is only during your devotional time in the morning, then you're missing it. Oh, you're missing it. If your meeting place, if you're the only time where you feel close to God is during that morning time meeting with God, you're missing it. You have that opportunity all throughout the day. If the only time you feel his presence is when you have your Bible open and you're praying to God, you're missing it. Because when you close your Bible, it's not some kind of magic thing where all of a sudden the Spirit of God stops living there, where all of a sudden he stops communicating with you. Yet so many of us are defeated in our Christian lives because that's where it stops for us. We, we turn God off. The only time you feel his convicting presence is when you're in church and hear the Bible preached. Or when you have your Bible open in the morning, you're missing it. He's been there with you all along in each and every moment of the day. He's there to speak with you in each and every moment of the day. And he's there for you to talk to each and every moment of the day. And if the only time that you're talking to him and the only time that he's speaking to you is in those morning times of devotions, Christian, you're not walking with God. Walking with God means that it's as if I have a friend beside me. In his presence, I can, I can see him and I can touch him and I can feel him and he can speak to me and I can speak to him. But my friend who walks with me throughout the day is not left on the couch after I close my Bible and my devotions in the morning. Bethel, dwell there. It's the only time you feel his promptings and directions in your life is when you have your Bible open on the couch in the morning or when you hear the preaching of God's word. And he uses those things, those questionings, used them over and over in my life. But if that's the only time that you feel his leading, and his nudging in life. You're missing it. You're not dwelling at Bethel. You're not walking with God. Know you not that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Not just when you're doing your devotions, but he dwelleth in you always. God tells Jacob to dwell there but he also tells Jacob to make an altar. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
When we are at Bethel, it is no time for us to reserve certain areas of our lives back for ourselves. It is time for us to give all of ourselves over to God, saying, these eyes that have been sanctified at Gilgal, they're not my own. They're yours, Lord. I slay them on the altar. These hands that have been sanctified at Gilgal, I give them to you at the altar of Bethel, Lord. These feet, these legs that walk through this Christian life, that tell me where to go and where not to go. This heart, this mind of mine, and this tongue of mine, and every part of mine, Lord, I lay on the altar at Bethel because it has first been separated and sanctified at Gilgal. And I know then that it will be pleasing to you. And I ask you that you take them and use them for whatever you once sacrifice there that's what the bible calls and what the bible signifies as a burnt offering when you see burnt offering in scripture it is an offering where somebody is offering their entire selves it's a representation of offering their entire selves to the lord and god says and through the pen writer of of romans says i beseech you therefore Seeing all the things that I have done for you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, sanctified at Gilgal, holy, acceptable unto God, because that's the only vessel that's acceptable, is a sanctified vessel at Gilgal, and it's your reasonable service. Having begun at Gilgal, our sanctification, and traveled to Bethel, our meeting place with God, let us not stop there, for if we stop there, we stop short of having true victory in the land of Canaan. Let us follow Elijah to Jericho. This is one of the most well-known and often taught Bible stories to children. We understand that it it is a story that represents the power of God. We see before they ever reach Jericho that God speaks to Moses in Numbers chapter 33 and verses 48 and following. He speaks to Moses and says, I have given you the land to possess it. Christian, when you entered into Canaan land, when you were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, God says, there are enemies in that land. There are enemies in your flesh. There are enemies in the, in the world. But I have given you the victory. You have already possessed it, Christian. You just need to walk in the ways and the orders that I have asked you to walk in. You are there to possess it. The land of Canaan is ours. It is a land of victory. God has already won the victory, Christian. It's not yours to win. He's already been victorious over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave, over every stronghold in the land of Canaan. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. God has already been victorious in it. All you need to do is walk in that by faith. God has already fought the battle. He fought the battle and I've won. Thus, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, which is not speaking to Christians who have escaped the penalty of sin for their he- from hell, but it's speaking to carnal versus spiritual Christians. That's the context of Romans 8, 1. Not saved versus unsaved people. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No victory over you when you are walking in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Yet in order to be victorious, we must claim the victory by following his prescribed plan. And that is to be in Christ. In Joshua chapter 6, we find the nation of Israel conquering their first enemies over in the land of Canaan. They conquered Jericho. And I can just imagine being in that place, putting my feet in the shoes of the leaders there, as God instructs them to walk around Jericho and be quiet. And do that for six days, and then on the seventh day, Walk around it seven times and be quiet. But on the seventh time, after you've walked around it, I want you to blow the horns and I want you to shout loudly. And then the walls are going to fall down. Oh, I can imagine the leaders of that day say, we have to do what again? We, that he brought us through the wilderness into the land of Canaan. And this is his prescribed plan for victory. And Christian, your Christian life is n- no different For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our carnal, our warfare, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Your victory is not through your own flesh. It's not through your own strength in your arm. Your victory in this land of Canaan, in this Christian life, is not through your own self-discipline. It is through you following the commands of Christ and walking by faith. The children of Israel very literally had to walk around Jericho very literally had to walk by faith. The path to victory, Christian, in your life is surrender. The reason that you feel and you are so often defeated, you've been to Gilgal, you've been to Bethel, but when you get to Jericho and you need to defeat the enemies in your life, you're so often defeated because you've not surrendered. You're taking your Christian life into your own hands rather than placing it in the hands of God. You're taking the battles into your own hands rather than placing the battles in the hands of God. You can't get here, though, unless you've first been to Bethel. You can't get to Jericho unless you've been to Bethel, and you can't go to Bethel unless you've first been through Gilgal and dwelled at Gilgal. Your victorious Christian life is not about your labor. It's not about your building. It's not about your fighting. It is all about your obedience to Christ by faith. So that when you leave this life, you can truly say, and when you walk through Canaan, you can truly say, as the nation of Israel did in the book of Joshua, he fought the battle, but I've won. Well, I know that there will be... Well, I know there be more battles that will come from day to day. Lord, clothe me in your armor as I take up the shield of faith. Lord, you are my stronghold. My heart will not fear. With your word as my weapon, I know victory is near. I've won, I've won. The victory has come. Though the enemy still makes his presence known, I planted my feet in the word of God. He fought the battle, but I've won. 
Praise God for a God that doesn't just save us out of, the, out of the Egypt, doesn't just save us out of Egypt and cause us to go through the Christian life and cause us to go through the land of Canaan and have these big enemies that we could never defeat on our own. Praise the Lord. He doesn't leave us to our own accord, but he says, I will pull down the strongholds. I will pull down the walls of Jericho. You must first, though, give that to me. You must first surrender to me. You must first walk in obedience to me as the scripture commands. There is not Jericho. Unless there's first been Bethel, where man meets with God and is commanded by God to take the next step. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I am dead. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yet again, Elijah is commanded to go further, and Elisha will not remain. Elijah knows that there's something more he wants, something more. He says, I've been to Gilgal, but there's something more. I'll go with you to Bethel, but there's something more from Bethel. And I'll go with you to Jericho, but there's something more. And there's one more stop here. It's Jordan. Do you want more, Christian? If you've traveled this far, are you content to just remain at Jericho? If you do, you would have traveled a good journey, but not far enough. You'll suffer defeat. Your life will look more like the book of Judges rather than the book of Joshua. And you will suffer defeat And for the next stop is essential to the complete victorious Christian living. It is Jordan. There is no question that the most significant passage in scripture of Jordan is a picture of salvation. However, the river Jordan doesn't just picture salvation when Israel crossed Jordan, it signified salvation. It signified the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw a water that they could not pass. And the priests dipped their feet into it. And they had the tabernacle that represented Jesus Christ. Sorry. The Ark of the Covenant that represented Jesus Christ. And as the Ark of the Covenant that represented Jesus Christ went into the water, as the priests carried it into the water, the Bible says that the waters of Jordan were parted so that the children of Israel could pass over dry ground. And your salvation is no different. You can't swim through the waters of Jordan to pass into this Christian life. You can't work your way enough. You can't build a dam. You can't build a boat to pass into the land of Canaan. You cannot be saved by your own works. You cannot be saved by your own accord. It is not faith plus works, but it's faith and faith only. Many of you, some of you, I, I cannot help but think that some of you listening today, you have no connection with Gilgal, separation, sanctification. You've never seen that before. You've never seen Bethel. You've never, you've had emotional experiences, but you've never really met with God. You can't honestly say that. You've seen no Jerichos in your life, not through God pulling them down. You've, you've seen small victories, but each and every day you're just continually defeated. And maybe the reason that you are is because you've never crossed in the Canaan land to begin with. You're not a child of God. You're not saved. 
And your destiny isn't heaven, it's hell. If you listen to this and you're listening to this preaching and you're, you're hearing the land of the, the city of Gilgal and you've never actually been separated in your Christian life, you've never been sanctified. You hear Bethel and you hear meeting with God and you've never really experienced the communion of the fellowship of the Holy Ghost inside of you. You've never felt that. You've never seen victory in your Christian life like Jericho. Maybe it would be wise to ask the question whether or not I am truly saved. Indeed, some of you listening today, you've never separated yourselves to God. You've never had a mark of separation at Gilgal because you've never actually crossed into the Canaan land by faith. You've never in your life truly met with God. You've had emotions, but you've never met with God because God is not in you. I charge you that today Christ invites you into the land of Canaan. He says, why don't you cross over the Jordan? I've made a way. Jesus Christ is your way of redemption. He died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross. Your sins, the sins of Egypt, the burdens of Egypt that represent all of the world and all of the sin, they will take you to hell. And you can't do enough good works to erase that. It is not your faith in Jesus. You say, yeah, I've done that before. I've made a profession before. It's more than making a profession. It's a belief in the heart, a belief that involves turning from your old ways and turning to Jesus Christ. Repentance. And some of you, you, you're battling this right now and you're saying, but I've already been baptized with pastor. And how embarrassing would that be? People would think I lied all that time. They think I was a fake. You would rather really go to hell than suffer embarrassment in this life? That's the choice that you're going to make. You have a soul that will never die, but always suffer torment and punishment and the lake of fire for all eternity. You would, you would rather do that than risk embarrassment and I assure you if that is you no matter how long you've been a part of Fellowship Baptist Church no matter how involved you've been at Fellowship Baptist Church we will not ridicule you we will not scoff you for having a false profession of faith we will love you will rejoice with you Jesus invites you to be saved today. Why don't you right now, while I'm preaching, you just bow your head and ask him to come into your heart. You bow your head and confess your sins and admit and believe in your heart that you're, you're not on your way to heaven. You could never do enough good works to get to heaven. Why don't you accept the gift that he's already offered to you and he offers it with open hands. Just reach out and take the gift of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jordan is a place that symbolizes more than just salvation. It's a place that symbolizes death to self. We see that two and a half tribes did not cross over into the land of Canaan because they did not die to their own desires. And God allowed them, but it wasn't God's 
perfect will, just like a king in Israel was not God's perfect will. We see that when Jacob crossed eastward over Jordan, leaving all his families and possessions in the hand of God, that he died to himself. We see that when King David crosses eastward over Jordan, leaving his entire kingdom behind while his son was ripping it from his very hands. I cannot imagine David, after being so patient and waiting for God to deliver the nation of Israel into his hands as Saul was continually trying to kill him. David had no home, no safe habitation, dwelling in this earth. And then finally God delivers the kingdom into his hands. And then he has his own son, his very own son, steal the kingdom from him so that he has to leave his own home. He has to leave his own place, his own safe place with his family. And he's ridiculed and scorned and mocked. And he's losing the kingdom that God had promised him. I can't imagine the amount of self-denial and dying to self that was involved in that as he crossed the river of Jordan and said, God, I leave this kingdom into your hands. God, I leave my family into your hands. God, I leave all of my possessions into your hands. And God, I leave my reputation into your hands. I'm dead to those things. My reputation doesn't matter. It's only your glory that matters. I can imagine he's saying, it's not my kingdom anyway, Lord, it's yours. It's not my work, it's your work. I leave that into your hand. Jordan, in this case in 2 Kings chapter 2, it represents a death to self. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but it die, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Have you died to your family? Have you placed them into the hands of Jesus? Saying, they're not mine, Lord, they're yours. You've given them to me and you can take them away. Have you crossed over Jordan and died to self? And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You don't cross over Jordan. You've been to Gilgal. You've been to Bethel. You've been to Jericho. But still, you don't die to self. You don't cross over that Jordan. You're not worthy of Jesus. You cannot be his disciple. George Mueller said, There was a day when I died, utterly died. As he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. I died to George Mueller, his opinions. Some of you need to die to your opinions on Facebook. His preferences his tastes and his will died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. I'll say that again. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends following the path of Jesus who made himself of no reputation. Died to self. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. I crossed the river Jordan and I died to my reputation. Meaning that I, it is not my duty to 
be concerned about how I am approved or disapproved of men, but only that I am approved of God. I die to my possessions, meaning that I've come into this world with nothing and I will leave this world with nothing. And whatever I have, God can take all of it from me. I die to my relationships. If a man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot build, be my disciple. Which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Counting the cost. Christian, this last stop is a matter of counting the cost. Making these four stops will cost you much. But you'll gain so much more. Oh, you won't necessarily gain more possessions. You won't necessarily gain a greater reputation. You won't necessarily gain, gain more friends. You might gain less friends. But you'll gain so much on things that cannot be touched, things that can only be seen inside of your own heart as you have a communion and a knowledge of God that you've never had before. But you must first be at Gilgal, and then you must travel to Jericho, to Bethel, and then you must travel to to Jericho, and then you must travel through the waters of Jordan. My life is not as comfortable as it could be. I don't make as much money as I could. Some of you, I know, some of you young people, and I'll say this in closing as a testimony, I know that some of you young people, you look at my life and you look at Beth's life and you see the number of crazy trials we have had over the past seven years. And you've said inside your heart, If that is what surrendering to God costs me, then I don't want to do it. Surrendering to God has costed us that much. Dying to self has costed us that much. But it doesn't cost everybody that much. But if you're not willing to cost that much in your life, and the Bible says that you're not worthy of Him, you've not died to yourself. What can you gain in this world that's of far greater value than a relationship with Jesus Christ? Some of you are saved and you've, you've looked at the Christian life on what surrender will cost you and you say, I don't want to take the risk of giving my whole life to Christ and dying to self and saying, not my will, but thine be done. That these are not my possessions, but your, your possessions. That this is not my family, but it's your family. That this is not my time, but it's your time. That this is not my reputation, but it's your reputation. And many of you, you will not die to self because you believe that all of those things are yours and understand that a mighty God can take all of those things away in a moment. And all of those things that you hold on to, your possessions, your family, and your reputation and your comfort and all of those things, Christian, they can be taken away in a moment. And all of those things, I've lived the life in Egypt. I've lived the life where I did not 
roll the burdens off of Egypt. I didn't live in Gilgal. I went back over and I mingled with the heathen of the land. I've lived that life, Christian, and I can tell you that it is miserable. You'll have fun for a little while, but all those things will get old. I can tell you, though, when I made the decision and never looked back to turn my life over to Christ, and to make the steps daily, and some days I fail, many days I fail, but make the steps daily to dwell in Gilgal, to travel to Bethel, the habitation of God, the dwelling place of God, to go then to Jericho and then to cross the river Jordan. I can tell you that though it appears that my life is full of trials and all of those things and hardships, I can tell you that I have never I've never been more at peace. I've never been more joyful. I've never been more fulfilled. And I wouldn't trade any of those trials. I honestly tell you this in sincerity with all of my heart. I wouldn't trade brain surgery for anything else of not having it. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade giving up everything that I owned. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because it taught me some spiritual truths that I could never have learned any other way. I wouldn't trade my wife's health and the things that we've had to give up and surrender to the Lord. I wouldn't trade it. The way of the transgressor is hard. I've tried it. It's empty. It's cruel. It's fruitless. It's black. It's hopeless. It's fun, but then it gets old and it's tiring. It's hard. Yet, my life, when I surrendered it to Christ, became easy. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it might appear as the Apostle Paul was living in the land of Canaan and, and seeing victory after victory, but being having the most hardships besides Job and Jesus than anyone that we've ever known in Scripture. He was a man that was filled with contentment, and he was a man that was filled with joy, and he was a man that was filled with peace, and he was a man that was filled with all of the things that are of the greatest treasure in this life. Christian, as you bow your head and close your eyes in your home, I ask you, God has spoken. I won't take any more time. I know that I've gone quite a bit long. I won't take any more time myself, but I want you and I plead with you to take more time with Jesus. That when this live stream stops, that you continue to talk with God, which he's talked to you about. That you have a little altar in your family time in your room there and men Husbands, that you get up from that and you discuss those things with your children and with your wife. And you commit to living a life of separation and living a life of communion with God and living a life of victory. And God is the one who fights the battles and wins and living a life of dying to self. And you do that, you do that, you will see victory. You choose to not stop in one of those places, one of those places, just one. You will see defeat, defeat, defeat. 
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.